Hey startup lovers, it's Irina from The Family, where we help ambitious entrepreneurs build amazing companies. One of the things we've noticed amongst ourselves at The Family is that entrepreneurs who impress us the most are the ones who have the steepest learning curve, the ones who have the most to learn and who are able to push that curve upwards as fast as they possibly can. Learning quickly is about believing wholeheartedly that you're able to do it, focusing on what you're good at and trying to learn all the time. Plus, If people understand how to look for answers in today's world, their rate of learning can go way up. Here is our co-founder, Osama Mar, to give us some guidance on how to learn to learn. Today we are talking about how to learn to learn. Learn to learn is a kind of a new subject that was not really studied before. Learning always has been seen as a very natural process. Uh, for years and centuries, when people wanted to learn something, they just have to do it. And learning looked like a lot in many aspects to the sport. Uh, sport for many years was done only by children and specialized people. Uh, before, if you tell someone that you are doing some sport, it means two things. It means on one side that you are children, so it's not really important. You have a lot of free time because you are children. Or it means that you are a sportman and you are doing competition and so you are doing specialized sport. And between these two fields, it was never coming to an idea of someone that he wants to do sport as an amateur. During the last 40 years, the sport industry kind of structurate around lot and lot of offering. Everyone now can become a sport people and can do sport in his way. If you see the thousand of ways of doing sport, you sometimes wonder who invented all of them. Uh, how can you torture in so many ways some, so, so many people? And of course, education looks like a bit like sport. Uh, for a very long time, educating, learning something was something you do as a children because you have a lot of time. So learning was seen as not being prepared. Uh, we had this opposition for a long time between being an expert and learning something. If it, you learn something, it means you are not an expert. On the other side, if you are uh, telling people that you at a long, uh, sorry, if you tell someone that you are old and you are learning something, it means that you are a teacher or a professor. Uh, because learning something after a certain age was seen as something that only teacher, scientist, professor were doing. And then the world changed. And the world changed in three ways. The first one that is very important is that internet made accessible everything we can learn. And I think the real fragmentation in this world are not between the people that are learning something the people that know something and the people that don't. It's more between the people that know that they can learn anything and the people that don't know that they can learn something if they need it. So, for example, let's say before you will do math if you're a mathematician. There were a natural correlation between who you are as an expert and what you can learn. Why? Because the knowledge was totally inaccessible. We don't imagine how much there is a link, a logical link, between expertise and lack of information. Experts exist because you cannot know what they know with a low price of access. If you can access to what they know at a very low access price, then their expertise doesn't mean that much. 
because basically you can do math even if you are not a mathematician. You can teach yourself math in 2019 at any age, and maybe it will be difficult, maybe it will not be easy, but there is no reason you don't get to that point. The second thing that changed the world so much is that the fact that the knowledge become a commodity of the internet had an impact on who can learn what and how spread the access to knowledge is. So the way you can see that is that all of us, our real superpower is not so much how much we know, but how fast we can learn. So everyone in this room watching this video online have exactly something called the delta of learning. So this delta represents how much they can learn and how fast they can learn. And of course, that delta is different subject by subject, and we will come down to that. But basically, it means that at any point in time, you can decide to start to get this asset in your favor. And there is something that is really strange, is that if you learn things not in theory, but for very practical use, let's say you are building a company and you need to teach yourself about something, the path of teaching yourself will be a shortcut. Because basically, you are not needing to know everything about the field. When you learn things in school, you learn them in theory. So basically, you have to learn every aspect of the field, whether you need it or not. So you have this whole set of things that you need to learn. Maybe you just need that small path, but you need to learn all this surface because school don't exactly know that you need only this path. When you learn things practically, you learn them by practice, and so it means that you access only to the knowledge that is necessary. And that's a much more efficient way of learning. And that has an, an impact on the third aspect, is that cross-learning effects are becoming more and more important. Let me explain that. During the whole 20th century, we started to specialize people. So the knowledge become a tree, and that tree had more and more branches, and these branches became more and more specialized. So this tree of knowledge grew incredibly during the 20th century, but this tree of knowledge made it super inaccessible to people to be able to access knowledge of other branch of the trees. So let's say you are a mathematician doing algebra, specialized in uh, uh, cryptography, okay? Then you are in this branch and you have no access to geometry or you have no access to the other branch. Not meaning that you don't have the tools to do it, just meaning that you are on a path of knowledge that is so large that you don't have time to pick in other fields. Now, let's say you do that through practice. You don't try to learn the branch, but you just try to get whatever you need in any field. What happened? People start to... <laughs> that one was good. <laughs> I was thinking of something else. Uh, so people started to find path in knowledge and cross knowledge that were impossible to imagine they exist. I will give you a simple example. Uh, Google 
uh, when they were built, they needed to build an infrastructure of servers. And they didn't have the money to uh, build the kind of infrastructure that usual web company at that time were building. They started to look about who is able to manage and gather a whole bunch of information and treat it efficiently in any industry. And they realized that there was something doing that super efficiently called the brain. They started to study how the brain works, doing that not as surgeon or cognitive scientist, but as computer science people, they started to be inspired by this paradigm and invented clusters. And that totally revolutioned the way we manage servers and the fact that you don't need to put all the data on a single computer, but you can create distributed system because distributed systems are in your brain supernatural. That's a very concrete example of what happens when you learn something as a non-expert. You don't learn it to know it, you learn it to use it, and you start to use things in other different fields in a new field. Uh, another example, um, we have a lot of lawyers at the family, and they give us a lot of advice. Sometimes they are a bit contradictory. And one of the things I did in my youth is that I studied a lot cybernetic. So cybernetic is a science of communication and modelizing system. But each time a lawyer speaks to me, I always try to build a cybernetic thing in my head. And so I kind of learn what they say faster than they can teach me. Because I have a system to represent the law that no lawyer knows. And that gives me insight about things our own lawyer don't understand. That helps us as a family achieve a level of legal sophistication that very few companies in the venture world have. So you see that the direct impact between one field, cybernetic, and corporate law, that kind of combine in, 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 and merge in something that makes sense for everyone else. And so, the goal when you learn something is not so much about knowing the thing or evaluating that you know the thing or finding an artificial way that you know that you have milestone. No, it's to learn only things that you can use or you enjoy. So there is basically two reasons in 2019 to learn something. For your pleasure, and measuring pleasure doesn't make sense. If you are happy, just continue. If you are unhappy, just stop. Or because it's useful. So one of the problems is that people think that learning to learn things it works like sport. They can define, you know, like um, metrics like how many pages they read by hours, you know. There's a lot of people that like to measure things like that. How many things did I learn today? But knowledge doesn't work that way. You can know very few things and have very deep insight. Like you can have a lot and lot of information in your brain and totally be enabled to use it. So you need to find a very natural way to process it and accept the fact that most of us are very unequal in our way of processing thought. Uh, some of us are very analytical. Some of us are uh, sensitive driven. Uh, some of us uh, like to hear things, some of us like to watch things, some of us like to read things. 
biggest problem we have as a society is that we have a hierarchy of the value of knowledge. So there is few people on this market that decided that school was the highest place to learn anything, even if actually schools are one of the worst places to learn anything. Let's take a very concrete example. What do you think is better for you to learn a language? Hang out in the street and mess up? Or going in school for seven years uh, trying to get a lesson? For example, I did seven years of German. Apparently, at that rhythm, I need 100 century to learn German. I know how to say guten Tag. Streitverboten. I don't even know what it means, but the teacher was telling me that all the time. I think it's like, don't write on the table. Because each time I was drawing on the table, he was saying, Streitverboten. It's verboten. Yeah, I don't even know. Fuck. So, so that's a very concrete example how, how much school is a very unnatural place to learn things. The other thing is that we see, and we do that with children, we tell them that there is better way to learn things than others. For example, we tell them that reading book is better than watching movies. A lot of movies has much more to teach you than any books. And there are some books that are better than some movies, but it's not possible to have an absolute scale. Because learning is not, a passive, uh, is not a passive process, it's a very active process. And here starts the biggest confusion of the century. Learning is not about being teach, it's about teaching. Here's the biggest secret of how to learn to learn. If you want to learn something, the best way of doing it is just to teach it. Even small scale. Because teaching it will put you in a position to know everything you understand and everything you don't. Teaching will put you in the shame of being confused. Let's take an example. Uh, I did not really understand what scalable means. Each time I try to teach someone what is scalability and failing to make anyone understand what exactly scalability is, it kind of reminds me that I don't really know what scalability is and I need to face that and restart and restart again and again. Because if someone don't understand something, it's not because he's not a good learner, it's because you are not a good teacher. And if you are a good teacher, you can teach anything to anyone, it's just a question of time. So understand this very secret law of the universe. On an infinite amount of time, everybody can understand anything. That's the trick. So sometimes you need a smaller amount of time. But let's take a very mental and thought experience. Imagine that I put you in a room, okay, with three books, some food and water, and I tell you there is no way you can exit that room unless you solve this very complicated mathematical problem that is solvable, and actually you have everything in the book to find the solution about that. Some of you are going to exceed that room in a day. Some of you are going to take 25 years. But between 25 years and one day, there is an infinite number of positions. What would be really cool if we do this experiment for real, so let's say we kidnap people in the street, randomly, 
Let's be good in our experience. And we put them in this room, and they really have the certitude that they cannot go out without solving the problem. How many of you do you think will really become good at math really fast? Actually, a lot. A lot. Someone in Stanford did ex that experiment. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Torturing people, making... F so he did another way, took students, put them in a room, and tell them that they don't exit unless they solve, and they have only food and water for a few hours, and people started to solve problems much faster than they were doing in a normal class. Why? Because they were skin in the game. They were basically able to use the deepest effort, the deepest energy they have in themselves, the deepest motivation that helped them go against the obstacle. And of course, people underestimate the power of being skinned in the game. If you want to be a really good learner, put yourself in a position where you have no other choice than learning something. There is two ways of learning things. You enjoy or you need it. If you need it, don't fake need it. Put yourself in a position where it becomes a life of threat things. And you will see that your brain is able to do things that you will not even realize. The other opposite side of that is when you love something. Some of you are going to love certain fields. We can feel, fall in love with fields the same way that we kind of experience that with person. So basically every field is like a person. If I ask you to imagine any field of knowledge, I think in your mind you can imagine how this person looks like. We know how math looks like. We know how literature looks like. Uh, we all can have our, and by the way, it will look like a very different way if we like it or not. Um, and I think representing knowledge as a person can help you know which kind of person you want to hang out with. And if you really like something, if you really enjoy a field, you are going to spend more and more time with it. And it's simple function of growth. More time you spend in a field, more you are going to learn. More you are going to learn, more you are going to compound the kind of knowledge you get access to. What is the real mistake people do all the time? Is that they try to spend time with people they don't like. And that's true in life, and that's true in knowledge. Um, in the multiple things where we don't teach our, our children well. You know, when you are children, you have a kind of a very natural instinct to who you like and who you don't like. You know, when you are a kid, there is people you enjoy and there is people you don't enjoy. What is the first thing as a parent that we do with any kid? We want that they live in society and they are not way too weird. So we teach them to hide their emotion and to deal with people that are different and they don't like. And so we try to make them a little bit more open. And that's fine as a society. I mean, I'm not telling you to do anything different with kids. I'm just telling you to see what is the downside of that. The downside of that is that we don't teach them how to hire. Because what is hiring someone? Hiring someone is about being paranoid. It's about every single detail about this person that is going to make you off. And you don't want to do that. You want to, to be really sure that if you hire someone, 
it's going to be great, and the probability that someone great for someone else is great for you is very low. Same thing when we find a mate or we date or we go on Tinder. Like most of the people on Tinder are not paranoid enough. They will tell you like how many dates people fell and how many times that can have been just avoidable by simple caricatural uh, um, uh, judgment of the picture. It's easy, but we are not trained to that. Because when we think that way, we think that we are horrible person. You need to be horrible in the way you learn. You need to be selfish, driven by yourself. Uh, you need to only enjoy what makes you compound. And compound is very natural for people that know where they are good at and, and never try to go to their weaknesses. One of the biggest trouble of the advice you get online around that is that if you want to be a good entrepreneur, you need to be good at everything all the time. I don't know who they are talking about. If you look, most of the great entrepreneurs, they are this kind of bunch of weird people that have something really amazing inside them and everything else highly dysfunctional. And most of the time, there is a reason why they have something really, really well in their self is because they compound for so much into that, specialize so much, that there is very low chance that they are average about everything else. And think again in school. In school, everything is done to make you average. There is a good reason why average, when it's applied to people, sounds like an insult. If you tell someone that you are average, it means that there is nothing we can connect on. There is nothing we can really build up to. And that's a big problem. Because as a person, as an entrepreneur, as anyone trying to achieve something special, you cannot be average. You need to be special. How do you become special? You become special by compounding in one field more than others. So that comes down to the question of specialization against generalization. Some people ask, always ask me this question, when do I know if I need to be a generalist or a specialist? It's very easy, you know it. Most of the people asking this question is because they don't want to hear the answer. So some of us are really good at specializing, some of us are really good at being generalist, but everybody dreams to be a generalist. Because everybody that asks this question, sorry, wants to be a generalist. Because everybody asking this question in his heart is thinking like, yeah, but it looks so boring to be specialized at something. He's worried about the effect of specialization. But most of the time, it's not boring. Most of the time, it's actually incredible to be specialized. Most of the time, it's actually what makes you happy to be able to build up. And others are generalists, or others people, they just like to know something at 80%. First of all, I never liked to go deep in anything. It bore me so much, but I know it. I never tried. I never tried to be a specialist because I never enjoy that fulfillment of mastery. It's the difference between the fulfillment of mastery, the question and the ability of repeating something until you are perfect, I never enjoy perfection. And the other thing that is just curiosity, it's your ability to always go to the next field. Both of them have done sight. The way to pick them 
it's to ask yourself which downside do you prefer the most? Because some people say, oh, if I'm a generalist, I'm going to get lost. I'm going to do so many different things that there is a point I will never do what is necessary or what I need to do. And that's bad. No, it's not. It's just the downside of being a generalist. And that downside, you need to love it as much as the upside. Because if you don't like the downside of your own decision, then nobody is going to love them for you. Yeah, so question is how much time do I need to invest on learning? So that's a really good question. Uh, you have two ways of seeing this question. Is do, do you need to learn something or are you doing it as a pure gymnastic thing? So we need to separate learning as a necessity from learning as a sport. Learning as a necessity is very uncommon. There is only few moments in your life when you need to learn as a necessity. Uh, you create a company, you are discovering a new field, you are building a new product, you are, you are doing something where basically you need to learn before doing. And then you learn it, you are doing it, you are mastering it, and so you are kind of an automated mode. And start to question, are you able to sustain that for a long time? And sometimes it can be a really long time. You basically can spend 30 years or 40 years of your life doing exactly the same thing. Or do you need to change and learn something new? That's a hard question. The new is not your friend. The new isn't your enemy by nature. Because what is new always has the risk to be worse. There is a good reason why people don't like to innovate. You know, I always love when, when entrepreneurs uh, make fun of old companies because they don't know how to innovate. You know, that's, that's one of the things that looks the most childish with entrepreneurs. Because entrepreneurs don't realize that the reason they love to innovate is because they have nothing to lose. Like, if they were making a billion a year in profit, are they going to be that innovative? I don't think so. Most of the people don't realize how, how conservative they become as fast as success comes. And by the way, it's very funny to see it on a small scale. You know, you have some entrepreneurs that reach 5 or 10 million revenue a year, and they start to be super worried of changing anything because they know that maybe they will go back to zero, and they don't want to go back to zero. So, of course, judging from the outside, it always looks great to be innovative. Like, you know, we want to celebrate the innovators. But innovators exist because there is a lot of people that believe that they are bigger than their, cu their curriculum. Basically, what an entrepreneur does when he builds a startup, he thinks, me, I'm bigger than my curriculum. I deserve much better than what the life is offering me. So I'm going to create the job that no one is giving to me. And that can go through a huge learning process. But what happens when you don't need to learn anything anymore? then start learning for joy, learning for pleasure. So question, how much of your time can you give to that? As much as you can. Like you should always in life aim to get more time for the things you love. And of course, if you love to go to sport in holidays, that's more, less time to learn. But you need to find somehow on the long term an equilibrium. So 
the question is not so much how do you equilibrate at the beginning, but how do you equilibrate when you are successful? Because more you are successful, and more you will need discipline to find time. The problem of everyone having opportunities is not to say yes to the opportunities, it's to say no. And if you need to, give, to save time to learn things, you need to say no to a lot of things. And you don't define yourself by what you say yes to, you define yourself by everything you say no to. And that's why it's hard to have any kind of success. Because when you are successful, you need to start making choices, and choosing what you are going to learn is super important. And that's why I think learning can become a daily habit. One of the things you can do is that is using everyone in your favor to teach you things you don't have time to teach yourself. And that comes down to ask questions. Um, a, a good example of that is that each time I take a Uber this day, I ask the Uber driver to tell me a story or surprising story or something he learned from someone that he was really surprised to learn. And you don't imagine the amount of information Uber driver have just hearing the conversation of others all day long in, in, in their thing. You can even build a spying agency paying all the Uber driver, asking them to take notes on every meeting that have been taken in, in, in their car and just writing down the name of the people. Uh, it will be a huge amount of intelligence. I don't know why NSA and CIA did not think about that. Uh, <laughs> wiring up Uber will be actually... That will be amazing, no? <laughs> wiring up Uber car will be an amazing source of intelligence and knowledge. Um, and knowledge is everywhere. Like, um, for example, one of my favorite games is when there is something I don't understand, it's to ask every single person I meet until I understand it, this question. For example, uh, uh, not a few long ago, uh, there were like this kind of complicated conversation I had with Balthazar in our team that was like, why the price of petroleum are going down? And, and the macro theory was supposed to go up. And, and I was surprised about that. I was like, doesn't make sense. Why is it going down? And so for a few weeks, every person I met, I asked this question. You know what happens when you do that? Is that a lot and a lot of people don't have a clue about why. And you know what do they do? They think about it and give you an answer. And most of the answers are wrong, but that's fine. Because if you have enough of them, you start to build a collective truth. Because if you ask enough people the same question, the everyone that doesn't know about what they are talking about, giving you answer, help you kind of calibrate where the, tru if, where the truth is. And you can do that on lot and lot of things. So learning is a mindset, especially in 2019. Information is with peers, information is with um, online, you have a ton of classes. You just need to find your way, your path, to find the best way of using all this knowledge in your favor and finding a way to use that knowledge to establish a better path for your entrepreneurship quest or your life or anything that is your goal at the moment where it happened. Um,
il y a un trou dans le verre. <rire> tiens, tiens euh, prends, euh, prends ce verre. Il y a de l'eau partout sur le truc, désolé. Ouais, je sais pas, il y a de l'eau en tout cas. Um, <rire> sorry. It's, uh, ça ira dans les behind the scenes. Uh, <rire> J'ai perdu mon truc. Oh, yeah. So, one of the consequences of that is the difference between continuous learning and discontinuous learning. Um, what I call continuous learning and discontinuous learning are the things that you can learn because you already have the theoretical background and the thing that you cannot learn because you don't have the theoretical background yet. So let me explain that. Basically, people think that learning something depends about what people teach them. But actually, there is something called learning reception. It's your ability to process the information that is sent to you in a way that is useful for you because you have the kind of right tools to understand them. The basic thing that we all learn to do in school is to read and count. And they are kind of the two build blocks that we do all our learning around. Counting and reading are very fundamental skills. Two problems to that. First, we don't understand that learning to read and learning to count is a continuous process. There is no, like, why do we learn that when we are six years old and then we are like, oh, it's done? No, it's not done, actually. You can do it all the time. Uh, you can find better way to read and better way to count. And there is other fundamental blocks. So one of the things that is kind of tough is to acquire new fundamental blocks during your life. So one way of doing that is to just study famous theory. That's my personal hack. So let me explain that. In every field, there is always a theory that is more famous than every other theory. Uh, let's take an example. Everybody here, uh, E equal MC2. You know, everybody know that that in physics is kind of badass because it's famous. Um, everybody knows, um, I don't know, uh, um, let's say, habeas uh, um, corpus. Everybody heard about that. Do, do, uh, like you're not British, but do you know what habeas corpus is? It's a fundamental right of freedom, no? Okay, so a French example will be everybody heard about uh, les droits fondamentaux. Okay, it, that's pretty famous. Or, or uh, private property. Everybody heard about that. So private property is a very famous theory in law. It's kind of a principle that everybody share. Uh, everybody heard about infinite numbers. Yeah, did you know? Works. Uh, help me to know what is mainstream. Okay, uh, can someone give me a very famous chemistry uh, uh, law that is kind of mainstream? Lavoisier law. Do you, did you heard that when you were in college? No? Uh, rien ne se... Rien ne se perd, rien ne se crée, tout se transforme. Yeah, you see, you know that law. But that law has very profound implication in chemistry. So basically, you can learn fundamental blocks just by knowing what is behind any famous theory. It's one of the perfect way to learn as many blocks as possible. We call them as a family mental models, is that they help you process the information in a way 
that this kind of field processes information. And there is something you can do to be smarter that is very impressive. It's to learn as many mental models as possible. So, for example, if you pick a new language to learn, language are great mental models. Try to pick a language that is in a new family. So, for example, if you know French, learn English, and if you know English and French, learn uh, Danish. Uh, it's a good example. <laughs> uh, if, you are, uh, uh, if you learn Spanish, then go and learn Japanese. Because, because you are going to learn new mental models. When you learn a language, you also learn how to think in this language. And languages are not equal in their way of thinking things. For example, uh, Russians struggle with optimism and, uh, and private property much more than any other people on Earth. It's because in their language, there is really, really hard time to define the position of things. In Russian, position of things is always indirectively uh, defined. So, like, if you are Russian, you don't feel in your language that you own things. It's as simple as that. So if you are a Russian and you want to do business, the first thing you should do is to learn English. On the opposite side, English is only about property uh, and position. Like, if you look how English language is built, is to make you capitalist. Did you ever notice that in English, it's so easier to write a website to sell something that in French? Did you ever notice that? Like anyone that is a copywriter in French, trying to apply copywriting selling points in French, struggle. Why? Because the French language is anti-merchant. The mental model of everything in French is to avoid selling anything to anyone. It's a language that has been built to not being used in commerce, because French was deeply against commerce. We killed all our Protestants and keep the Catholic. That day we killed the business in France at La Saint-Barthélemy. It's a good example of how culture has an impact on history and how history has an impact on business. As an entrepreneur, your job is to go out of mental model. And the only way to do that is discontinuous learning. Is that there is a moment in your life where you should pause and learn something totally new without having any usefulness of that or any other project that changing the way your brain is wired. And more you do that, more the diversity of your brain will be and your wires, and more you will be able to have very, very powerful thoughts. Because it has been proven again and again and again is that each time you open a new mental model in your brain, it's like putting a, uh, a windows in a house. Light comes in stronger. And if you want to have a bright house, you need to open a lot of mental models. That's why people that speak a lot of language are, in average, less racist than the ones that speak only one. It's, it's factual. It's not only because they speak multiple languages, so they are more open. No, it's just that because it gives them different perspectives around the same thing. And language is just an example. You have the same thing in math. And the way to just know how to pick one is just to trust that if something is famous, is that there is a good reason of that. If E equals MC2 is famous, it's because in physics, that theory means so much paradigm shift. 
everybody knows the name of Copernic because his story have made Copernic super important. And his story is your friend. There is like why everybody knows Pythagore. You, do you know Pythagore? When I say that, you all look so desperate. Like it's like, who the fuck is Pythagore? You know Pythagoras? Everybody knows Pythagoras because this guy changed the paradigm in math until these days. And he had an impact that history had select has a profound impact. The history filter is one of the best filters. It's called the Leiden effect. The Leiden effect is the fact that if something is history resistant, it means that the people continue to cherish it as something important and transmit it years after years after years. And that's why it's cool to know them, because it helps you see reality in a very different way. So I don't know what is the right rhythm of doing that. For, uh, for example, at the family, we, we, we love these mental model things. Uh, we do it every month. Uh, we try to take one day or two days to learn something in a new field, like, uh, I don't know, biology, evolution, accounting, astrophysics, whatever. And he helps us think so much about the startup because he helps us having very, very different uh, mental model. The consequence of that is that it helps you be able to unlearn things faster. Everybody is obsessed about how you need to learn things, and nobody talks about how sometimes you need to unlearn things. So unlearning is a very non-natural process. Um, every sport people that have something wrong will tell you that it's really, really hard uh, to learn something like, sometimes like, for example, you have a, a gesture at golf, that impedes you to swing better. And the only way to get a better gesture is to unlearn your initial gesture. And all that's also true in, 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 in other field, more theoretical field. Like, for example, coders live with that problem all time long. They learn how to code with a certain paradigm. Who is a coder here? Nobody, nobody, okay. So that's very intimate reference. Uh, you learn to code in a certain paradigm, then a new one comes, and you need to unlearn your way of seeing how to build a program. And that's why when you are a coder, you spend a lot and a lot of time learning new technology all the time, because you have no other choice if you want to survive the market change and market shift. And that's true for anything. Uh, if you're an accountant, and you learn other fields of human brain, you are going to become a better accountant. Uh, if you are a lawyer, if you are a freelance, if you are a designer, if you are a CEO, if you are HR, whatever you are, each time you will learn to see the world with the eyes of another field, you are going to do better, and that will help you unlearn what is not necessary in your field. Because there is ton and ton of bullshit that is around and stuck to us, and we cannot unlearn them because we don't have the right tool. By the way, I advise everyone to take at least one day a class in statistic. Statistic is the best filter tool of anything in life. It helps you unlearn so many things. There are so many things that you think are true because people in your field think that they are true, but they are actually untrue because statistics show you that it's just a question of randomness and we are all fooled 
by randomness. And, and, and that's an example of one field that you learn in a discontinuous way that is going to impact you in everything you see. Another one is finance. Like every entrepreneur should take a finance class at some moment. Finance helps think any business decision in a way that is absolutely different than any other way and help you make much better decision. Because finance helps you represent everything as an investment and a return on investment. And that's an amazing paradigm to know if you are doing something right or not. I will finish on two things. So, one of the reasons people don't like to learn things, it's because they have what we call limited believing. It's, it's the idea that you believe something that impedes you of achieving your true potential. Um, there is a lot of truth behind that, but there is also a problem with that. It's to believe that there is certain things that you cannot learn because you limit yourself, instead of believing that there are certain things you cannot learn because you cannot do. So, I don't know what is a part of biology in our ability to learn, but you see it with very, very small children all the time, is that our brain is not wired the same way, and there is nothing to go against the way our brain is wired. So some of us, for example, I learned that recently, is that our brain rise up us in optimist or pessimist way. So some of us have an optimist brain, and some of us have a pessimist brain. There is a very good TED uh, uh, conference that you can watch on that, uh, called Optimist Bias vs. Pessimist Bias. You know the funny thing? Is that this person discovering that, discovered that if you send certain electricity voltage to a certain part of the brain, you can transform an optimist in pessimist and a pessimist in optimist. So basically it means that someone on this earth can take my brain and transform me in a pessimist one. I think I have a huge optimist bias. Huh? I'm doing startups. So if you are not hugely optimist doing startup, you don't. But people will be like, okay, so why don't we do that? Why don't we not brain in an optimist way, everyone. You know, a lot of time, if something exists in nature, it's because this equilibrium was necessary to our evolution, and there is a very good reason for optimists to be surrounded by pessimists, and there is a very good reason for pessimists to work with optimism. There is also fields where being an optimist is super dangerous. For example, let me give you this fucked up data. If you have an optimist brain and you become a fireman, your chance of dying are 200 times higher. Because you see the fire and you don't evaluate it correctly because you're optimist. If you do that with a startup, you lose a bit of money. If you do that with a fire, you lose your life. So you see, there is good reason to have some pessimist people. Let's say you are run a nuclear factory and you are highly optimist there is high chance it's going to end bad. So, of course, that doctor kind of say that we need to, let, to look in certain profession if we need to be pessimist or optimist and not let optimist people go in pessimist one and the vice versa. 
And I like that because it reminds me that if that true is true for optimists, it's true for a lot of things. There is a lot of mystery about how our brain is built and set up. But refusing the naturality of our brain is very dangerous. The question is that, of course, brains are highly diverse and dispersed. There is kind of different kind of brain all over the world. There is even a high chance theory that every brain is unique because it's quantum and that there is so much quantum allocation in your brain that it's like your DNA or your fingerprint, your brain is really unique. And that's an incredible evolution feature because it means that everyone on Earth can have a very singular contribution. But your job is to become intimate with your brain. And there is a lot and lot of contradictory message to that. A lot of people are trying to find hacks and tips to learn faster when actually some of them only works with you. So one good way of doing that is just experimenting everything, but just learn to listen to yourself and trust yourself. It's super important. Learning to learn is not so much about increasing the number of pages you read or becoming deeper or more specialized or anything like that. It's just about enjoying the process in a much more continuous way and that come down to practice and nothing else. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more about the family, go to thefamily.co. See you next week.